Um, we are going through the book of Deuteronomy, and we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 9 today. Pastor Michael began uh, this episode in chapter 9 last week, uh, speaking about the, the, call, the command to the Israelite, uh, of, of the Israelites to uh, take over the land of Canaan. And yet God tells them that it's not because you are good people. In fact, it's, uh, you are unrighteous. Um, this is all my doing, and whatever you're gonna, whatever victories you have, will be, be because of me. And today's passage is a continuation of these few verses. So we're gonna look at chapter nine, verses seven through twenty-nine of Deuteronomy. This is in your bulletin, and follow along as we read the word of God. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And the Lord was so angry angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. When I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. And the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of fire on the day of the assembly. And at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, arise, go down quickly from here. For your people whom you have brought from Egypt have acted corruptly. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made themselves a metal image. Verse 13. Furthermore, the Lord said to me, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stubborn people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain and the mountain was burning with fire and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made yourselves a golden calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took hold of the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. Then I lay prostrate before the Lord as before for 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sin that you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you, so that he was ready to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me that time also, and the Lord was so angry with Aaron that he was ready to, to destroy him. And I prayed for Aaron also at that same time. Then I took the sinful thing, the calf that you had made, and burned it with fire and crushed it, grinding it very small until it was fine as dust. And I threw the dust of it into the brook that ran down from the mountain. Verse 22, this is still Moses speaking. At Taberah also, and Massa, and at Kibroth Hatava, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and take possession of the land that I have given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and did not believe him or obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. So I lay prostrate before the Lord for these forty days and forty nights, because the Lord had said he would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people or the wickedness of their sin, lest the land from which you brought us, 
say, Because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land that he had promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. For they are your people and your heritage, whom you brought out by your great power and by your outstretched arm. This is the word of God. Like David said, uh, today we are looking at this theme of intercession and the call to worship spoke to it and the line that he went over in the Apostles' Creed spoke to it. And I want to share with you a story that um, that happened a few years ago. And uh, this is about, a, this story is uh, actually from a Facebook post that was written by a woman, this is back in 2017, who um, wrote about an experience that she had on, on an airplane. Her name is Savannah Phillips. And she tells a story. This is an abbreviated version of what she wrote on Facebook. So um, this is, this is uh, what she posted on her Facebook page. So she boarded uh, a plane, uh, headed home, and she was sitting next to an older guy. So now I'm starting to read what she wrote. He stood up so I could get into my seat next to the window. The flight attendant started the safety speech and he got his phone out. His phone was maybe 12 inches from my face and he proceeded to text someone that he was sitting next to a smelly fatty. I didn't, I don't even know what the rest of his text said. I turned my head away as fast as I could. I was shocked and it was like confirmation of the negative things I think about myself on a daily basis. Before I knew it, I could feel hot, salty tears coming down my face. I was so hurt. The pilot came overhead and said there would be a 30 minute delay before he could take off. She continues, I sat there unable to stop silently crying. All of a sudden, someone from behind us taps on the guy's shoulder and says, hey, I need to talk to you. The guy next to me takes out his headphones. Someone behind us says, we're switching seats now. The guy next to me says, okay, why? And I hear someone say, you are texting about her and I'm not putting up with that. A guy comes and sits next to me and is shocked when he sees me crying. He asks if I saw the text and I nodded yes. He encouraged me not to let that guy get to me and that everything was going to be fine. We talked about Ross, this is her husband, and the kids, his two-year-old son, our jobs, amongst other things. He said he just happened to see that guy's text messages and he started shaking because he was so mad and he knew he had to do something. He stopped the flight attendant and told her what he was about to do. And so this man, this fellow passenger, saw that she was being made fun of and she was affected by this and he stood up and he told the offender um, we're going to switch seats so this is the story uh, what's happening here what happened to, to savannah phillips on the airplane that someone stepped in on her behalf this is called intercession it's not just a biblical word this is something that happens in our lives day to day a fellow passenger saw what she was going through and he stepped in to protect her. He intervened on her behalf. And this is what's happening in today's passage in Deuteronomy. In our time together, I want us to see that uh, this is what's happening and that as we look at this story of intercession that Moses is, that, that what he's doing, that, that we would marvel at the fact that this is something that happens in the Bible, in the Old Testament, but also something that's is very real for us that the hope that we have today is that there is such a thing as intercession moses interceded on behalf of the israelites because of their sin and idolatry and that idea of intercession 
carries with it for us a hope. So, as I said, we're going through a book, uh, the book of Deuteronomy. This is a series of sermons and speeches that Moses gave to the Israelites as they're on the cusp of entering the promised land. And last week, Pastor Michael, he looked at Moses' words to the Israelites in reference to the conquest of Canaan. And they're told that they will take the promised land, um, but it's not because that they deserved it. Moses makes it clear. It's not because of your righteousness. In fact, he says in the text, you Israelites, you are stubborn. You've angered God and you deserve to experience the wrath of God. And the point of what Moses was saying was this, that God had, had rescued them and that he would give them the land because of who he was, because of his character, because God is gracious. And, the, and Moses wants the Israelites to understand their sin. And that's what makes God's gracious gift to them all the more amazing. And as we look at today's text, um, we see more of this, that the sin and idolatry of the Israelites is highlighted by Moses. Um, but we're not left there. Um, all the beauty, all the, all the things that cause us to marvel and wonder, it has to be set against the backdrop of the sin and the idolatry and the unrighteousness. And the hope that we have today is the same, that there is in us an unrighteousness, a sin, a rebellion. But someone has stepped in on our behalf and we gave it away already from the very beginning of the service, from the call to worship. Um, we pray that we would see Jesus in this text. That as Nate led the song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And that we would be amazed and marveled and that this would transform us. So as we look at today's passage, we see, um, we see this. And we're gonna, we have three points to help us understand what's happening in the text. Number one is the necessity of intercession. Number two is the cost of intercession. And number three, the ultimate intercessor. So our first point, the necessity of intercession. So once again, let me just define this uh, so we understand what we're talking about here. The act of intercession is, or intercession is the act of standing in between two parties. It's acting on behalf of someone for their good when they cannot do it themselves. We saw it in the story of this woman on the airplane who was made fun of. Um, we see this. Um, perhaps in our lives, uh, we have some lawyers at our church. Um, lawyers stand on behalf of someone. They represent them. This is intercession. And as we look at the plight of the Israelites in Deuteronomy, we see that they are in a terrible spot. Last week, we're told that they're righteous, unrighteous and stubborn. And today, again, in our passage, we're given a list of their faults. Verse 17, they've been rebellious against the Lord. Verse 12, they've acted corruptly. They quickly built an idol against the commands of God. Verse 13, they are stubborn. And these themes are repeated again toward the end of the chapter. And what is the result? Verses 18 and 19, the Lord was angry with them. We see this kind of provocative phrase. Um, Moses says that the hot displeasure of the Lord, this is in verse 19, it wasn't just the consequence, the natural consequence of their sins, but God felt this deep anger and displeasure at his people. And he was ready to destroy them. And this puts the Israelites in an awful position. They're trapped in their sinfulness. 
the consequence of their sin is bearing down upon them. Almighty God who rescued them from Israel, he's saying, I'm ready to destroy you guys. And they don't know it. They don't know the danger that they're in. One of the things about idolatry is that it, it, it sucks you in so much so that you don't even realize that you're in it. Um, and this is the, the state of the Israelites as they're um, in, in the middle of their idolatry. They don't realize how bad of a situation they're in. And idolatry gets you to a point where it may not even cross your mind that you're stuck. Um, you may have heard this story before of how um, Eskimos kill wolves. And I did a little bit of research um, about this. So I'm not 100% sure that this actually happens. But it's a story that t- that is told and it, it's to teach us a principle. So here's the story. Um, so it, it's, it's said that in order to kill wolves for their, for their meat and for their fur, um, hunters will put a a blade in the ice upright and they'll put a little piece of meat there or they'll, or they'll put warm blood on the on the blade and a wolf will stumble upon it and because they're attracted to this food this blood they'll start licking the blade um, because it's so cold their, their tongue goes numb but they keep on licking and licking and licking because this is a food source and what this wolf doesn't know is that they're they're tongue is getting cut up as they're they're doing this and the taste that they're tasting is their own blood and eventually they'll die because of the loss of blood and again i don't know if this is uh what actually happens but the principle is there that this is what idolatry is like we think that we're we're getting something while we're licking the blade but in reality we are bleeding to death until it's too late and we die Idolatry disorients us so that we don't even know that we're in trouble. This happened to Aaron. This is Moses' brother. one of the prominent figures that should have known better. And the Israelites were in deep in their situation. And what was their hope? If there's any hope to be had for those stuck in idolatry, someone has to step in. The Israelites were like the the kid on the train track listening to music blasting in their headphones. A train is coming toward them, barreling down upon them. They have no idea that the train is coming. And someone has to push that kid aside. Otherwise, they're going to die. Someone needs to push them off the tracks lest they be run over by the train. And the Israelites were like that kid with the headphones on. They were so caught up in it, that they were destined for certain destruction unless someone stepped in. Someone needed to recognize that there's something profoundly wrong and they had to step in to do something about it. And this is why we read the words of Moses today. Moses is the one that does it. He's been called to lead the people of God. And here he sees how they've utterly failed to obey God. They've forgotten his goodness and provision. And the Israelites teach us something about ourselves. Someone has to step in to tell us that something is wrong. Someone has to tell us that there is a way out. Someone has to take our place if we can't do it ourselves. An intercessor is necessary because we're so often trapped in our own little worlds where we don't realize that there's something wrong. 
we don't recognize the trouble that we're in so often, the, the sins that we entertain, the company that we keep, the way that we avoid people or conversations. Someone must step in. For the Israelites, it is Moses. And for us, it's someone else. So this is why intercession is necessary. Our second point, the cost of intercession. Uh, if we look at this passage, Moses recounts this conversation that he has with God. Um, and God, again, he is angry with the Israelites. And he's telling Moses, Moses, I'm going to destroy these Israelites. I'm going to blot out their name from heaven. And this is one of the worst things that can happen to a people. Is not only that they are destroyed, but their very name is blotted out. This is one of the... One of the, uh, the Warfare tactics is if you wanted to destroy people, you not only destroyed them, but you got rid of every vestige of their civil, of, of their culture or of their of their family. Um, and God is saying, "That's what I'm ready to do." These Israelites that have disobeyed me, I'm going to blot their name out of heaven. And He offers to Moses, "I'm going to make another nation in their place, one that's greater, one that's mightier." But what does Moses do? He says, "No." Don't do that, Lord. Here in this passage, Moses is identifying radically with his people. He's committed to their good. Now, can you imagine if you remember the story of Moses? He was called out of Egypt to lead the people of God out of Egypt. And can you just imagine over these decades where, where they're headed toward the promised land, um, so often Moses must have been so frustrated, so angered and disappointed by the people that he led. Um, how, how, how much aggravation was there in his life? How many sleepless nights? How many tears were shed? How often would he have wanted to give up? Can you imagine leading a people that constantly shut their ears against you, who constantly disobey God? Isn't that tiresome? Wouldn't you want a fresh start? And God says, I can give you a people like that. They might even listen to you, Moses. Moses could have started all over, perhaps with a people who would actually, who are, are actually competent and impressive. This is why God says um, they can be mightier and greater than these Israelites. And maybe they would have even listened to God. And this is the offer from the Lord. And Moses says, no. Don't do that, Lord. How do you know if you really love someone? How do we know that Moses loved his people? We really love someone when they've hurt us and they've angered us and they let us down and they've spit in our face and, and they don't appreciate what, we, what, they've, what we've done for them. And they say, I want nothing to do with you. Get out of my life. And yet you still choose to stay and do what's best for them. That's how you know when you really love someone, when it benefits you in no way to stand up for them. And here is the love of Moses for his people. Moses, he intercedes for the Israelites and he pays a price for it. He lets the opportunity of a better life, of a better set of circumstances pass by. And he says, I'm committed to these people. These are my people. So what does he do? Moses, he, he, verse 18, he lay, lays prostrate on the ground. Forty days and forty nights, he says. With no food or no water, he's praying for his people. 
when he didn't need to. What did it cost Moses to identify with and intercede on behalf of the Israelites? He gave up a chance at an easier life. He sacrificed his body. He laid himself bare before the Lord. In his identification with the Israelites, he no doubt he felt this deep emotional distress at their condition and the prospect of their destruction. This is what it cost Moses. And what about us? If you are a follower of Jesus, um, this is one of our responsibilities is to intercede for others on their behalf. It's our job to approach God in prayer on behalf of each other. If you are a member of Indelible Grace Church, do you remember the vows that you made to the church? You said that you said that you would build up the church. You said that you would support the work of the church. And one of the ways you do that is by praying for others in the church. And let me tell you a little bit about the people in this church. Your fellow brothers and sisters. There are some people who are barely holding on to their faith. They're angry at God. They can barely believe in God sometimes. There are people in our church members of Indelible Grace Church who are depressed and anxious. There are people who are so discouraged and tired. There are people who feel alone and are exhausted as they try to serve others in the church. There are people in the church who don't know how they're going to pay their bills. And they don't know what the next few days or weeks will look like. And they're filled with dread when they wake up. There are people in our church who may believe in God, but their hearts are cold toward God and their hearts are cold toward other people. And what is your obligation as a member of Indelible Grace Church? You need to support them and pray for them. What are some things we can do Uh, The first is this, embed yourself in the life of the church so that you actually know what's going on. We have community groups, and if you're not a part of one, um, talk to me. I'll connect you with some community group leaders to figure out which one would be best for you. Reach out to others in the church and see how they're doing. Be a regular part of the life of the church. That means as much as you can be here on Sundays at the park. Take part in, we have prayer meetings on Mondays. We have the women's ministry. We have other ministries. Embed yourself in the life of the church so you know what's going on with other people in the church. Another way, find practical ways to serve them and love them. Um, you can find, encourage them, send them a text. Ask them if they want a want anything. Ask them if they want to go to coffee. Ask them if they need a meal. Um, And finally, as related to our passage today, pray for them. Because your fellow church members need your prayers. And you need their prayers as well. This is how life in the church works. As we pray for each other, we find out what we need. We sacrifice for the sake of the other. And when we do that, we begin to understand what it was like for Moses to intercede for his people. 
to intercede for someone is to identify with them and not just identify with them, but to suffer for their sake. And intercession is costly because it means that our dreams and our hopes for our life may never be realized because you'll have to sacrifice for others. It might cost your money. It might cost a job prospect. It may cost you the life in the zip code that you wanted to live in. It will definitely cost you your time. It's going to cost you most of your time, your free time, to sacrifice for others. It might mean that you'll be emotionally exhausted. And yet, this is what we're called to do. This is what Moses was called to do. And we see as the passage goes on, he confronts the idolatry of the Israelites. He says, this golden calf, this is evil. He grinds it down to dust. And then we see in the text, God listens to Moses. God actually listens to Moses. And we'll continue the story in chapter 10. Uh, Why does God listen? What does Moses appeal to? And here we look at the latter verses of chapter 9, verse 26. Moses appeals to what God has done for the Israelites already. He's rescued them from slavery in Egypt. Verse 27, he tells God, Remember the covenants that you made with the fathers of the Israelites. Remember the goodness that you promised to them. Verse 29, remember God that they are your people. Remember that they are your heritage. This is the the word we see in the passage. What does it mean to be the heritage of the Lord? It means that you belong to God. It it means that he has taken ownership of his people, that they are precious to him, that they're given special care. And Moses says, God, remember this. Don't destroy them. I'm standing in their place. I'm standing between you and them. And I'm saying, God, be merciful to them. And God listens. God listens. Because Moses was interceding on their behalf. And before I go on to the next point, I, I want to make a note. Um, this might be a question that you have. So why does it seem like God is intent on destroying his people in this passage? Was it that he realized the mistake that he made in choosing the Israelites? Is that why he offers to make a greater and mightier nation? Is it that God wants to correct his mistake? Um, There are episodes like this in the Bible where it seems like God, he regrets his decisions. And it's up to human beings to change his mind. So what's happening here? The answer is this, that God knew what he was doing all along. God knew what he was doing all along, but he uses situations like these, like this conversation with Moses, to show us and to show Moses that there is a very real threat that the sinners are under. And perhaps Moses would not have understood it if God just told him, hey, this is my plan. Um, I'm going to threaten to destroy them and then I'm going to withhold my hand and they'll be okay. Um, God could have done that, but he didn't. Because he wanted Moses to understand this. He wanted Moses to feel in his bones that sin really is that bad. That the judgment of God is that real. That sin really does destroy you. That sin really will lead you to hell. 
and that God really is a God of wrath. He's a jealous God and he will destroy sinners. And in passages like today's, we can see what's really on the line here, that God cannot turn a blind eye to sin, that there really are consequences and that there there really is no hope unless someone steps steps in to save us. And that leads us to our final point. The ultimate intercessor. Uh, We gave it away already. We're going to talk about Jesus now. And um, we're always going to talk about Jesus at this church. Like I've said before, if we stop talking about Jesus, then find another church. Because church has to talk about Jesus. I've been to mega churches before where I've sat in their services. And not once did they mention Jesus. If that's us, leave IGC. But do you see it here, the ultimate intercession? Here, Moses is identifying with his people. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. This is in Hebrews 11. Moses radically identifies with the people of God, even when it means that he will suffer for their sake. And Jesus identifies with his people. Jesus was very God of very God, and yet he chose to become a human just like us. He chose to be mistreated and abused and tortured and crucified for the sake of the people of God. Moses, he tells the Israelites that he lay prostrate on the mountain and God heard him. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus lay prostrate on the ground asking that the cup of wrath would be removed by the Father. And yet, his prayer was not answered. Moses tells the Israelites that he broke the tablets when he learned of the sinfulness of the people. And Jesus was broken on the cross because he bore the sin of his people. And do you see what's happening in this passage? It's pointing to a greater intercessor. Jesus is the greater Moses. And this is the gospel that you and I were in grave danger. There was a certain judgment from a holy God bearing down upon us. And we would have died. We would be without hope in this life and without the presence and pleasure of God in the next. But Jesus stood between us and God. Jesus stood in between the judgment of God, the Father, and us on the cross. And if we repent, if we believe, then we can say, Jesus has stood in my place. I now am a child of God rather than an object of wrath because of what Jesus did. And now that the work is done, Jesus is doing something else. And we looked at it. Look at Hebrews 7.25. I'll just read it to you. It's not in your bulletin. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. What is Jesus doing now? He's making intercession for you. This very moment...
But unlike Moses, Jesus is not trying to give to convince God not to destroy us. Because do you remember on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. The work of Jesus on the cross was complete and finalized. And if you are in Christ, you are justified. You will not be condemned for your sin. This is a guarantee. But when Jesus says that he's interceding on our behalf, what he's doing is he's applying what's already true to us. The truth of justification means that we are always right before the Lord. So that when we know that Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father interceding on our behalf, we can be filled with confidence and joy. The writer of Hebrews includes this word. He's able to save to the uttermost, to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him. What does it mean? There's this idea of the uttermost parts of us. Think about the most dark parts of yourself, the secret parts of yourself, the most painful parts. Jesus digs into those areas of our life and he says to the uttermost of who you are. I know that. And I'm still going to intercede for you. I still love you. Still, I will identify with you. A couple verses later in Hebrews 7, it says that Jesus is the priest. And what does a priest do? If you've ever studied what a priest does in the Old Testament, they represent the people before God. And they're also dressed a certain way. They're, they're dressed in this really beautiful um, priestly garb. And they, put, they have on their, on their garments um, stones representing the tribes of Israel. What they're doing is this. They're saying, God, I, I'm, I'm coming before you on behalf of these people. And God, when he looks at the priest, he says, I see the stones that you carry on your garments. I see you wearing this beautiful garments. And I see the beauty of you, priest. And therefore, I see the beauty of the people because a sacrifice was made on their behalf. And what does that mean for us? That when God looks at you, he really sees the beauty of Christ. Because at the right hand of God the Father, when God turns his head, he looks at the Son and he sees his beautiful, innocent, righteous Son. When God turns his eye toward you, he sees in front of you Jesus. And just as the Father delights in the Son... He delights in you. And what would your life look like if you knew that? If you knew that you had the smile of God upon you. If you know that Jesus, he knows all of your sins and weaknesses and that he's still speaking on your behalf, what would that do to you? What confidence would that give to you? What joy would it give? How does it feel to know that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ? The passage that we just read in the call to worship, Romans 8. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ because he is interceding on our behalf. This is what God is, this is what Jesus is doing before God the Father right now. This is the very heart of Christ for his people. You are so loved. And if you know that you're not beholden to the opinions of men, Criticisms should not bother you all that much. Because Jesus says, I already know the worst of you. 
And yet I plead before the Father, speaking on your behalf. The commentator F.F. Bruce, he says this, He lives eternally, eternally engaged to bless and protect those who have committed themselves to him. Jesus lives eternally. He is blessing and protecting you, indelible Grace Church. This is true of Jesus. This is true of us. Will you pray with me? Father, I I pray that we would um, understand the danger that we're in, that we would understand the... Uh, the severity of sin, but even more than that, that we would, we would understand the mercy that you offer, that we would understand the love of Jesus, that we can never be separated from God. And I pray that this would shape us and change us as a people. I pray that this would cause us to uh, all the more want to intercede for each other, God. And I pray that you'd be glorified in all that we do as we think about the intercession of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.